Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. I mean what I said. I'm grateful for Pastor Linda's word this morning. I'm grateful that my wife got to hear it because it's such an encouragement to us. Those are many things that we've sort of been, we haven't heard it put just like that, but those are things that Jackie and I have been kind of thinking through and I know that was an encouraging word to her and to all the women here. Happy Mother's Day to you again, let me just say. We honor you. I'm finishing up a series called Ridiculousness. It's kind of a crazy title. And the idea comes from this MTV show called Ridiculousness, which I'm sure no one in here would ever watch such filth, I'm sure. Yeah, I won't ask for a show of hands, find out who you sinners are. But I love it. And uh, the show is so funny because it's these YouTube clips of people who, in their mind, totally make sense what they're about to do, right? For them, they're about to jump through a flaming hoop on a donkey while on, that's on top of a motorcycle, you know, and for them, it's all going to make sense. This is going to end awesome. We're going to film it, right? But from our perspective, it's like, oh man, this is going to end badly. And we get to see it. And it's a sermon series all about perspective. When you are in the middle of your story, things look a lot different than they're going to look 10 years from now, hmm? 20 years from now. Things are going to look different. And what you want to do when you look back is you want to say, okay, when, when I was here, if you could sort of pull yourself out of your own story, what you're going to want to be able to say is, how did I react when I went through that? What, what happened? You cannot be responsible for all the things people are doing to you. But you can be responsible for how you respond. Right? And what you want to know is how, and how did I respond during that time? And so in part one, just to catch up anybody who wasn't here, you can go online to City on a Hill's website, check Media Library, and there you can watch these first part of the series if you want to catch them up. But part one is that the Word of God, when the angels say, Jesus said He was going to be risen, you know, He was going to suffer, die, and on the third day rise again, He said it, it's going to happen. And the women there at the tomb were incredulous. They couldn't believe this happened. And the angels are, are, are thinking this is ridiculousness, right? He said he's going to do it. You know he's going to do it. Last, uh, last Sunday, we talked about doubting Thomas, which I said, doubting Thomas, he's better called willful, prideful, disbelief Thomas. Don't say it's doubt when it's really a matter of pride. And we talked about how God wants to move you from conditional faith to unconditional surrender. And tonight, the final part, the, uh, this morning, we both called it tonight. I think we're both hours ahead. We're just, we're, you know, this morning, we're going to talk about the final uh, ridiculous perspective change. And it's especially going to be important for those of you who are going through a time of suffering. For those of you who are going through a time where you would say it's a valley. For those of you who are going through a period in your life when you say, I can't sense God's presence. I can't feel his presence is a special word for you this morning. So let's turn to Luke chapter 24. We're going to find this in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. It's a famous story. If you've ever heard the expression, hindsight is 2020. You guys know that one? It means, yeah, well, if I had known then, I wouldn't have sold all that Apple stock. Yeah, if I had known then, you know, my mom wouldn't have thrown out my baseball card collection, which is now worth a billion dollars. I'm just saying on Mother's Day, I'm not bitter, but hypothetically... Let's say that happened, right? Hey, yeah, yeah, hindsight is 2020. You think, yeah, if I had known that then, 
And that's what we're looking at. We're looking at a couple guys, or they could be, we don't actually say it. It's about, it's about these two friends. One of them gets names, so we know one is a dude. The other may have been a woman, it may have been his wife. Let's just say, for we don't know. So I'm just going to illustrate as if it's two guys walking back, two friends. But they're these two guys walking back on the road to Emmaus, all right? Now before we get to this, everybody there, Luke 24, 13, we're going to walk through this. Just to set it up, I know for me, Okay, when I think about my life plan, when I think about, okay, what, what's my five-year plan, my 10-year plan? For some of you, that's laughable. It's like, what's my five-minute plan? How can I survive the next five minutes? You know, if you're thinking about what's for lunch, you're a visionary, you know? And I, I get that, but there's times when you're thinking, what's coming up? What's down the road? Aren't they big, important things? How many of us go, suffering is on that road? Now listen, at best, Watch this. At best, we say, this is the best thing for me. And along the way, there's going to be obstacles and pain and suffering that's going to try to keep me from getting the best. At best, we think that. What about this? What if it's accurate to say, the fact of the matter is, pain is not just an obstacle that keeps you from getting to the best. Pain and suffering is the exact path you have to trod to get to what is absolutely best. That it's not just accidental. It's necessary. I mean, who's ready to hear that? I don't want to come to church on Sunday. It's already gloomy and miserable. Now you're telling me my path is pain. Are you kidding me? Welcome to church. Don't you feel encouraged? The best thing that could happen to you is pain. Silah. Like, who, who says that, right? What about on a national scale? I'm hearing all kinds of promises about how good my life's going to be. But where's the politician that stands up and says, hey, if we really want to make this country great again, it's going to cost a lot of suffering. Now, let's do it together. But it's going to cost you. That man, that woman, they lasted on TV about two seconds. They're like, no, 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 no. That doesn't sell. But what if that is the path? What if it's sacrifice and suffering? What if it's pain? What if suffering in your life is not accidental? That's what I'm trying to say. What if, in fact, it's the road that you, you need to walk, not just to get a good life or not just the thing that are keeping you from going, but that is the path that will lead to a life that is crown-worthy. What if? I don't know that we have a category for that. I will say, I've listened to many sermons that Pastor James has preached. I've spoken many times with Pastor Joe and Pastor Linda. And I will say, your church does create, I think, a, does a good job from this pulpit, you will hear that there is a category, okay, and this blows a lot of people's minds, but there is a category for doing everything right for noble Christians going through tremendous suffering. That you have a category for that. You know, many Christians don't. They don't even have a category for that. If I'm following God's will, why isn't my life filled with blessing? Right? If I'm doing everything right, then why is everything going wrong? At least you have a category for that. In the first century, I want, to sh- I want you to see, we're not, we're not the first people to suffer for this. Way back in the day, the first followers of Jesus even wrestled with this concept. And so I just want to lay the groundwork for that. Let's get right into the story. It's a great one. It's a doozy. Many of you know it. It's famous. It's popular. It's even a little funny. Luke 24, 13. That very day, what very day is this? We got to go all the way back. 
this very day was the first Sunday of Jesus' resurrection. There was Good Friday, there was Holy Saturday, and then there was Easter Sunday morning. Let's all put ourselves back there. Okay, let's just flash back in time. It's Easter Sunday morning. We're wearing really pretty clothes. The place is packed. He is risen! There you go. So we're all there. Now remember, when they had the first Easter Sunday morning, they didn't say, He is risen, He is risen indeed. What they said is, He is gone. It is miserable indeed. For them, it wasn't Easter Sunday morning, remember? For them, it was darkest day in the history of evil and gloom day, right? They, didn't, they weren't excited about anything. They were scared to death. They were in a locked room because they came for our master. They're coming for us next. Nobody was excited. Nobody thought, you know, we should hide eggs and eat bunnies made from chocolate. That wasn't on their plans. They were scared to death. They were terrified. And the only one who ever gave them any hope was dead. They watched it. Dead as a doornail. And so here we go. They see these guys, and they're heading home. Passover's over. Everybody descends on Jerusalem. For, it's like Super Bowl weekend. You know, for everybody comes into this town, right? It's a huge convention. They're coming from everywhere. And they're heading home to a village named Emmaus. It was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. They're just trying to process it, you know? They're just trying to get their head around these things now what are these things passover this year was not like any other passover they'd ever been to every year there's there as they gather together the same discussions come up every year as people descend on jerusalem it's like hey things are pretty rotten around here yeah yeah we're getting kicked around by our roman overlords yeah and what do you think of taxes hey i don't mind taxes but what i'm not okay is tax being taxed at a criminal rate where these Roman tax collectors can come in and they can take whatever they want. And if I don't pay, they just throw me in jail or take away my kids or put me at the edge of a sword. That's what I'm not okay about is all the thieving and the, and the, the, the criminality of it all. And there's all, you know what we need? Yeah, I know what we need. Say it. Oh, I'm going to say it. Say it. Don't even say it. Messiah. Woo, Mufasa. All right. I mean, woo, when Messiah, there's buzz Every year at Passover, as all the Jews descend on Jerusalem, every year there's the same buzz. One day, Messiah, ooh, he's going to set us free from all this. He is going to, he's going to whoop the Romans. You know what I'm saying? He, this is going to be a military leader. And every year they would have little Messiah conferences every year at Passover. And they would remember the promises that Messiah is coming. He's going to be a military leader. His kingdom will never have an end. How good does that sound? Right? And they're excited. This year, like no other year, there was buzz that there was a one who actually, not only, we, they, they weren't just having, you know, Messiah conferences hypothetically. There was buzz all around Jerusalem that the Messiah was actually there and that he was going to appear. And that Passover, you know, of this year, Passover 33 or whatever it was, right? That was the year that he was going to raise up. And there was word, you're not even going to believe some of this stuff. You know, they're talking down the road. You're not even going to believe some of this stuff. They said that, that he fed 5,000. Huh? You can feed people, you can feed soldiers. And soldiers make armies, and armies kill Romans. And they're starting to do the math on this. And then, and then, he, we heard he could heal the sick. Can you imagine? We heard he could walk on water. There's even legend that when people died, he said a word. And he could raise the dead. Now let me ask you something. What is Caesar going to do when Jesus shows up with his water-walking zombie army? Huh? Oh, you shot me. 
right? Oh, I'm hungry. Miracle bread. Hmm, fish. Like, what do you do with that, Caesar? We coming, right? So there's, there's buzz, right? Here's the thing. The religious leaders find out about it too. And it's not just what he did. It's what he taught. He spoke with authority. Somehow, some way. And they're still trying to get their head around this. If anybody, I mean, he was from Bethlehem, check. He came out of Egypt, check. He seems like he should be the one. This Jesus of Nazareth should have been the one. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Ended up on a, on a Roman cross. Like to have the rug of reality pulled out from under you. It would have been fine. It would have been just a normal Passover. If Jesus' name had never been mentioned, we'd all be cool. But you understand, it's different, right? It's different when you take your kids out on a drive and you go past an old burned out barn in the country. It's different, right? You're just like, oh, that's a burned out barn. You come home. But if you tell them we're going to Disneyland and then they see it and you go, oh, Disneyland burned down and you go home, that's different, right? That's horribly sadistic. I know, I know. But I did that for you, James. I know, I know your feelings. Right? <laughs> right? Why? Because it's one thing just to, uh, but to have your hopes dashed mercilessly. And that's what, and that's what they're talking about. And that's what they're, they're talking about. They're like, I don't get it. His kingdom certainly came crashing down. And while they were talking and discussing together, that's a great line. Some of you know exactly what that is. Because you and your spouse have had talks. Then you've had talks and discussions together. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. I, I do not have words for how great I think this moment is. Jesus, risen from the dead, saddles up next to him. Right? They're kind of walking along, talking about, you believe this about Jesus, right? And he walks up to him. And of course, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Luke does this great thing where we, the readers, know it's Jesus, but they don't. In verse, uh, I... I, I <laughs> I, uh, one of the great joys of Kidmo, what's happening over there right now, is that your children are learning Bible stories in ways that are appropriate for them. And uh, after church, I often find myself cleaning up a little bit around, and uh, they had left uh, three weeks ago at my church. They, uh, the kids had apparently had a teaching on this, and so this is the drawing. And so there they are, Cleopas with the freakishly large left foot and his friend. They're, they're walking toward Emmaus. When suddenly Jesus appears, and we know it's Jesus because he's got the holy lines coming out of his hair. They're heading to Emmaus. And Jesus just walks up to him and gives him this. And he said to him, uh, what's this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk, right? Isn't that great? The maker of the universe, the one who knows the thoughts before they're even spoken, says, uh, what, what y'all talking about? Hmm? Right? Uh, Jesus at this point is just trolling on him, right? He's just stunting at that point. He's just having fun. Walks up to him. Ah, so what are you guys talking about? And they can't believe this. This question brings them to a halt. Now this is sad. And they stood still looking sad. They're able to walk and process their grief. But when he puts it that pointedly, what are you guys talking about? It brings them to a stop. Why? Because hope died on Good Friday. I mean, that's why. For them, they can't even talk about it while moving and walking. They just have to stop for a second. And, and look, their demeanor changed, looking sad. It, what they left behind in Jerusalem is so painful to recall, right? Because hope was nailed to a cross. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk more a little bit about this. But, but they don't understand. They don't have a category. Look, one, okay, let's just... 
Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, right? Who in the world is going to ask this? Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Where have you been? I mean, he can't believe it. Like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Who are you that you do not know these things? Here's Jesus. What things? <laughs> and they said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth? Hello? You've never heard of Jesus of Nazareth. You have never heard of this guy? It's about your height. Built kind of like you. Didn't have all those rough scars. But I mean, you know. He says he was a man who was a, watch this, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. I read one commentary who had a very interesting theory. Why does he say prophet? They know he was more than that, but why does he say prophet? One very interesting theory that I absolutely disagree with. I think he's completely wrong. But rather interesting. He says that it's because they didn't know who might be spies sent from Rome. And so didn't want to say the word Messiah because you don't know who, hey, the, the Messiah just ended up on a cross and they're looking for anybody who may be a Messiah follower. Hey, Rome's got plenty more crosses if anybody else has got plenty more ideas about Messiahship. Okay, could be. I think that's totally wrong. I think instead, I think the reason they didn't say Messiah is because they would have said Messiah, but Messiah has clearly been ruled out. That they didn't have a category for Messiah. They totally thought he is totes Messiah until, until he was crucified on a Roman cross. Now let's go into this a little bit. Let's look. look, look. Look, he, well, okay, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. And, okay, so they keep going. Our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. And here's the thing, here's the thing. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. That's the payoff. That's the verse I want you to get a hold of. You'll understand the whole text if you get that. We had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. Well, let's unpack that a little bit. Why was a crucified Messiah... An oxymoron. Why was it a contradiction in terms? What they're saying is Jesus of Nazareth was so close. It's so funny. We, 2,000 years later, as Christians, I want everybody to see this. We do not disagree with Orthodox Jews who would say Jesus is absolutely not the Messiah. We do not disagree about the scriptures themselves. We just look at the exact same scriptures and come up with exact opposite interpretations. And you can just go oh, example after example after example. For example, in Isaiah chapter 2, it says, unto us a child is born. And our minds go right to Jesus. Theirs goes right to, it's, it's absolutely not Jesus. Why? Because it says, you know, government will be upon his shoulders, all those things. And then here's what it says. And of his government, right, his kingdom will know no end forevermore. And we would go, see, it's an eternal kingdom. And they would go, see, it's not Jesus because kingdom over. All right? His kingdom came crashing to a halt on Calvary's hill. Ergo, 
Thus it is proven he is not the Messiah. And we would look at that and go, thus it is proven he is the Messiah. But for Cleopas and his buddy, he's like, look, Isaiah said his kingdom would know no end. And it certainly came to a very dramatic and crashing end. What about his throne? His throne was to be established upon generation after generation. Messiah is supposed to live a blessedly long life, not be cut down in the prime of life in shame, condemned as a common criminal on a cross. Messiah... Another example, Messiah was supposed to be very active in the temple. He's supposed to reinstate the Sanhedrin with power and authority, rebuild it, and get the sacrificial system up and running, right? These are all promises in the Old Testament about Messiah. We would look at that and go, duh, he totally did that. His temple is his body. It's us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the sacrificial system. He made the once-for-all sacrifice that now forever propitiates the wrath of God for us and our salvation. They would go, see, he never got the temple up and running. You understand? We're looking at the same scriptures. We're just ending up on two different interpretations. For them, they're going, they're going, and not for nothing, Luke says, their eyes were darkened. You're right? He says, that's why they couldn't see it. So, for example, they would say, well, instead, he, di- he didn't get the temple up and running. He predicted its destruction. He said that it would be destroyed and that he even cleaned it out. And the Sanhedrin were less in power, not more. The Messiah is supposed to lead us in a military victory against Rome. Instead, he was led up a hill by Rome to Calvary's cross. When Messiah comes, good things will be available to everyone. When the Messianic era comes, there will be no poverty, no war, no hardships, no reason for jealousy or competition. Things, Good things will be so good, it's like they'll grow on trees. And Cleopas is looking at his buddy going, well, Rome is very much still in power. And that Messianic era sure doesn't seem like it's here. Psalm 16, you will not allow your holy one, right? You won't allow your soul to be abandoned to Sheol or see corruption. It sure looks like he was abandoned when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or Psalm 2, the nations rage, but why? I will make my son, right? All the nations will be his possession and and he'll break them with the rod of iron and dash them with pieces like a potter's vessel. So listen up, kings and rulers, or you're going to perish. It looks like that was the other way around. It looks like God's son was the one who was dashed like a piece of pottery and finally just one more not to belabor it but i want you to see from cleopas and his buddy's perspective why jesus could not have been messiah because for example isaiah 53 now this is one where we would look at isaiah 53 if you don't know the passage and we would look at that and we would say that's got to be about jesus it says he grew up like a tender shoot it talks about how uh, the Uh, By his wounds, we were healed. Our sickness was laid upon him. Though he knew no sin, God, you know, put our sin on him. And in this way, we can be saved. Cleopas would say, no, no, no. That verse, that passage, that's about Israel. Israel's the suffering servant. And Messiah is going to make all this suffering end. See, he's going to free us from all this suffering. Okay? And that's why their hearts are breaking. And now they just don't know what to think. And they're so confused. None of the reasonable options make sense. If he wasn't Messiah, how could he have done all those great deeds? I guess he could have done them by the power of Satan. But that doesn't make any sense. Because why would Satan fight against Satan? And on top of that, they learned some other facts. On top of that. Yeah, and besides all this, it gets weirder. It's now the third day since these things have happened. And moreover, some of our women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. We weren't there because we had no faith. But they were at the tomb early in the morning, right? And Jesus, or, well, they don't know it's Jesus, but stranger, you're not going to believe this. But they did not find his body. 
That verse is a great verse, but it's so much funnier if you realize it was spoken to Jesus. You're not going to believe this. But our Lord Jesus, stranger, is nowhere to be found. Puts his hand on his shoulder. Isn't that crazy? His body is gone. They came back saying they'd even seen a vision of angels. You believe this, Jesus? (laughs) Who said that he was alive. So now we don't know what to think. Jesus, our stranger, you're just not going to believe this, but Jesus is nowhere to be found. And we can't even grieve properly because we don't even have a body to have a funeral for, right? Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, right? Just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So we've even got some clarity, and we don't know what to think about all this. All we know is this is a whole new category that Messiah you know, would have to suffer in this way. We don't have a, there's no category for that. So he said to them, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken to Jesus. It's like, here we are again. This is ridiculousness. It's not like I have, look, man, see how the Bible's divided but not in the, like there's a lot more Old Testament than new for thousands of years. It's been predicted. He's coming. The lamb died on Passover for the substitute of the people over and over again. The prophets predict and teach that he's coming. How has it taken you this long? Was it not necessary that the Messiah or the Greek word Christ, was it not necessary the Messiah should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Do you understand that? In other words, he's saying it's not just ancillary to his mission. He was supposed to be Messiah, but he got derailed by suffering. But it was, in fact, necessary. And then he opened. Look, beginning with the Moses, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Moses and all the prophets was shorthand for Torah. It means he began in the beginning. The books of Moses were Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So when he says he begins with Moses and the prophets, he just means that's the whole Old Testament. He just started going through it. And that right there is the greatest Bible conference in the history of mankind. Jesus himself starting in Genesis and showing them how every page of the ancient scriptures was whispering his name. Guys, you ever think about it this way? No, we're just two rednecks from Emmaus. (laughs) Ponder with me. How's the whole thing begin? Well, Baruch Elohim got... In English. (laughs) In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's like, that's right. Then what? Well, then we've got the beginning, the heavens and the earth. Then we got the spirit hovering over the deep. Then what? Then God spoke. Okay, so you got God the Father, you got a spirit, and you got a word. Yeah, okay, okay. Then what happens? Well, then there's this great fall as humans want to be their own king. That's right. And then God gives this prophecy. What is it? It says that, the, it says that the, 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 the seed of the woman one day will crush that serpent's head. Yeah, but what else? But that the serpent would bruise his heel. Oh, oh, you mean suffering for the chosen one of God. Oh, he, a, a bruised heel. Boy, I never really thought about that. No, foolish one and slow of heart to believe. You haven't. Then he walks them through. What happened in Genesis 22? I don't know. The chapters haven't been numbered. What happened? Fair enough. What happened when Father Abraham took that? Oh, you mean when he took his son? His only son? The one only begotten son of Father Abraham? Marched him up a hill 
to be sacrificed? That's right, but what happened? Well, God provided a substitute so that the child of Abraham could live. Jesus like, for real? Seeing any connections at all? So you're saying like the only begotten son of God also climbed a hill and was the... It gets better. And then what happened? Well, then, then in Egypt, God provided a substitute where this spotless lamb of God, like the Passover lamb, could be eaten. And in and, and, and every home where a lamb had died, because there was already a death in that home, a substitute death, a lamb died in place of the people, then the angel of God would pass over that and the people would be spared because a death has already been made that pleases God as a substitute. And he got the people out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Go on. And they're like, well, then what happened? Well, then we're given the law and we have to fulfill the law. You know how you guys think Isaiah 53 is about Israel? Oh, the suffering servant. What's the problem with that? Well, you know, it's funny you say that, stranger. I've always thought there was a problem in that interpretation. How can Isaiah 53 be about Israel? Because over and over again, one of the points they make is that though he had done no wrong, he was killed. Though he was spotless. It seems to me that doesn't make much sense. If that's about Israel, all Israel's done is breaks God's heart. We're not spotless. And that's why that never really settled right with me. Jesus is like, you know, it didn't settle right with me either. <laughs> when I put it on Isaiah's heart to write it, right? He goes on and he goes on. He talks about how, but, but a suffering servant can atone for sin. Every page whispers his name. Then, so good, starts breaking it down, right? So you see like Jesus and the I'm starting to get it, right? Empty tomb, Bible. They're still not to Emmaus. So they drew near to the village where they were going. And Jesus acted as if he were going farther. It's a divine head fake. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. This is important. For it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. It's night. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. I tried to put it better than the kid's illustration, but this is what I found. Wait for it. Wait for it. Gone! And they grow man buns, and they're like, what? What happened? This left such an impression on my kid, my four-year-old Carson. I come home and I said, can you retell me that story? And he got to this part and I said, and then what happened? After, as soon as they realized it was Jesus, what happened? He goes, dad, he poofed. <laughs> like, close enough. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Oh. So. What does this have to do with us? Well, well, first, look, 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 that right there is the gospel. He took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to him. When Jesus was here on earth, he said a lot of things about himself. One of the things he said was these I am statements. And one of the most famous was when he said, I am the bread of life. He called himself bread, right? Not as the forefathers ate man in the wilderness and died. No, no, no. He that eats of me lives forever. So that right there is the gospel. When he was at table, he took the bread, blessed it, broke it. But he's saying, I am the bread. And what did he do? What did he do? God, infinite in his glory, power, and majesty, took on human flesh. 
he took a body. Don't you remember what we just, his, his bread, this is my body, right? Everybody with me? He took a body, little baby born in a manger, born in Bethlehem. And what did he do with that body? Did he not bless it? Did he not show us what a blessed body could do for God? Did he not take that body and just, I mean, utterly use his body for the glory of God. Use it to heal. Use those lips to speak. Use that heart to love. Use those hands to heal. Use those feet to walk the extra mile to forgive. To, to chase after the lost sheep until he was found. Did he not take that body and bless it? Then what did he do? He allowed it to be broken. Violently beaten and ripped at the hands of sinful men. For us and our salvation. Why? Just broken? Was he a martyr? No. Broken and given for us and our salvation. As the lamb that was slain for us. And it's not just that they recognize. Some people are like, what was it about the breaking of bread? They were like, oh, that's just like the Last Supper. Or I've seen that painting. It's not, it's not that they recognize his scars. I think it's they got the gospel. I think they, they, this was his life. That's what he did. He came. And he blessed that life. And he broke it. And he laid it down for us in our salvation. So what does this have to do with us? Listen. In your sadness, in the midst of your pain, look, 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 look. The minute their eyes were open and they recognized him, he vanished from their sight. Listen to me carefully. If right now you're in a dark place, if you're in the midst of sadness, you have to listen carefully. Listen, listen. Jesus is there with you. In the midst of whatever you're going through, listen carefully. When in reality you can't feel him, child of God, he has never been closer. You just can't see him. He's never been closer in reality. You can't feel him in your heart, but he's never been closer. And he knows, and this is what's funny, when they finally did get to see him, then he vanished. But when they couldn't see him, he didn't mean he wasn't there. He was right there in their midst. The other application is simple. There, there, there still ain't no crown without the cross. There's no way to a life that is crown worthy without the way of suffering. If you want to be conformed to the image of God, suffering is not something to run from. Suffering is not something to fear. Suffering is to be taken and we drink it in communion with him who suffered for us and our salvation. Listen to this quote about suffering from Andrew Murray. Quoted by Amy Carmichael, just like two giants. Though the mountains shake, uh, she quotes Andrew Murray. First, he brought me here, so it's by his will that I'm in this place. In that fact, I will rest. Next, he'll keep me here in his love, and he'll give me grace to behave as his child. Then, he'll make the trial a blessing, teaching me the lessons he intends me to learn, and working in me the grace he means to bestow. And last, in his good time, he can bring me out again, and only he knows when. So let me say, I am here by God's appointment, in his keeping, under his training, and for his time. You're here in a dark place, you're here by God's appointment. And you're here in his keeping, and you are to sit under his training until you need to learn what he needs to teach you. And he will bring you out, he knows when. And so you will rest in that. And, he be, and you, you begin to think, like, reread the story. They rejoiced. Uh, Acts 5, it says they rejoiced. They were, they were worthy to suffer 
for his name. Acts 14, they said through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Romans 8, we are heirs provided we suffer with him that we may glorify in him. Paul and, and Philippians 3, I want to know Christ and share in his sufferings. James 1, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for after he stood the test then he'll receive the crown of life. Think of it this way. For the Christian, there's three parts. Justification, where God declares a guilty sinner as righteousness. Justification, sanctification, the process of that guilty sinner being made holy. And glorification, the process of a new resurrected body where there will never be sin or even the possibility of sin again. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Think of suffering this way. He suffered for our justification. We suffer for our sanctification. And there will be no more suffering in glorification. You see? That's our future. That's where we're going. But we do not go alone. Hey, one last thing. They said to each other, Oh, man, how did we miss it? <laughs> Divine heartburn. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? How did we miss it? We were in his presence. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were gathered with them together. And they said, the Lord is risen indeed. He's appeared to Simon. Then they told him what had happened, how he's known to them in the breaking of bread. There it is. Jesus is alive. Hey, just one last thing and I'll stop talking. That right there. Do you remember why Cleopas and his buddy insisted that Jesus stay with them to have dinner? Do you remember why? Because why? Why did they say? That's right, it's getting late. It's getting late. Now, for you, it's getting late, but your car has headlights. So you can drive home safely. You with me? It's getting late, but even if you had to walk, presumably there's some street light. And even if there, you were in the middle of the forest, say you were in the furthest reaches of the wilderness, New Jersey or something, <laughs> even there, thy cell phone is a lamp under your feet and a light to your path. Is it not? Like, come on. Would you not find some means? Let me ask you, how was their public electric lighting in verse 33? They see the Lord. It is pitch black outside. And the common sense thing to do is wait till morning. But that, that is evangelism. That is a church charging out of the building on Sunday morning because the news is too good to share. And they rose that same hour. And I imagine Cleopas and his buddy are tripping over stuff, right? They're, they're getting cut on stuff. They can't see a thing. Over here! No, you missed the road! But two evangelists running and stumbling and tripping and messing up. Everybody's like, I'm not too good to share the gospel. These two rednecks are tripping in the middle of the dark. Why? Because it's not about how good you are. It's about how good the news is. And when they get there, look, the poor guy, look at Cleopas. His femur has been broken. If you look carefully, the poor guy, right? Because they went through the dark to tell him. And that is because the news is so good. And if he is still alive, if he is still alive, then that's still good news for you and me. And it still means I have hope. doesn't matter who's elected, what's going on. Jesus Christ is with us and we are to share and tell that good news like those two dudes running through the darkness let's pray together heavenly father to do anything less than share your good news would be ridiculousness and lord i think about these two guys and i think about my own life when you have been so near to me and i just could not see it only now looking back i think well of course my heart was burning and I, I recognize you when I heard your scriptures proclaimed. I pray for anybody here who's in that dark place where they just can't see you, that they would rest, 
Knowing that you've brought them here, you're there, you're with them, you're teaching them, and you'll call them out when, in, their, in, in the due season that you have for them. Lord, don't let, them, don't let them lose faith in the midst of that trial, in the midst of that testing. And for the rest of us, I pray that we would proclaim the good news far and wide that you are alive. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.